it's that the fly always has to track through before the tip. And people, and it, and it seems like that would be a common thing, like it, just kind of a common sense thing to say, but it's really not. And people can't, don't consistently do it, but it makes a world of difference when you're, when you're presenting the fly, you know, when you're casting the fly, when you're presenting the fly, when you're swinging the fly, you always have to think about how, how everything's unfolding, how your line is tracking and make sure that you're showing the fish the fly before you show them the sink tip. That was James Johnson breaking out a great tip when swinging flies for salmon. Heading to Katmai today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you want to go a little deeper with the podcast and uh, maybe take it to the river, go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to get uh, info on upcoming hosted trips through the podcast. In today's episode, I talk with James Johnson, the man behind Katmai Trophy Lodge and the Knack River Camp. We talk about the best time to hit Alaska if you're a newbie, when to catch monster rainbows, and how to swing up salmon. Uh, hear the story of how James, uh, James's dad founded Stealthcraft Drift Boats and why, uh, why and how they are different, and how to properly set the hook for kings and the best place to watch bears catch salmon. So, without further ado, here's James Johnson from Katmai Trophy Lodge. How's it going, James? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for uh, helping to schedule this thing. It was a little, uh, a little rough on my end, uh, kind of this time of year. I'm sure you're busy as well. Uh, I was hoping to jump into a little bit on Alaska. You have uh, some, you know, the Cat My Trophy Lodge. It sounds like you're all over the all over the world with stuff you have going with your businesses. Before we jump into all that, can you just talk about how you first got into uh, fly fishing and how it came to be where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um... So I was kind of born into it, if you will. Um, my parents had a, a big Orvis Lodge in Michigan on the Pier Marquette River when I was born. So, you know, I spent my whole young childhood growing up in, uh, you know, in a fly shop and around guides and around fishing and, you know, had my first, my first fly rod at like 18 months old sitting in the shop knocking stuff off the shelves and putting it in ceiling fans and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, you know, I grew up right on the banks of the Pier Marquette River. We had a house right there on the flies only water. And, you know, when I was four, I had my own rod and my own waders and I'd go around and, you know, while dad was guiding or working in the shop and I'd go walk around in the river and fish on my own. And, you know, I actually catch fish. I caught my first, uh, ever steelhead by myself when I was four, you know, on a Jeez. egg fly that I tied and a rod that I rigged by myself, beached it, unhooked it. So you remember that? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's one of my, one of my first memories actually. Uh, that's awesome. Um, and, uh, so I've, you know, been around it for forever. And then, uh, man, I guess it would have been, uh, when I was, 11 or 12, um, we took a family trip up to Alaska. My, uh, my parents and my younger brother and my younger sister, we drove up from Michigan 
in uh in the motor home with pulling a drift boat <laughs> and uh we went and we did the Kenai Peninsula uh and you know Denali and whatnot we were up here for like six weeks and uh it was a lot of fun really enjoyed it caught lots of fish hung out and uh we got back that fall what you know still to this day I wonder what dad was thinking but he you know he asked uh you know, a little 11 year old me, what I was going to do when I grew up. And I said, I'm going to own a lodge in Alaska. And <laughs> then, uh, kind of, that was that we started looking at lodges together on online that, that winter and, and, uh, you know, ended up buying, uh, our original lodge up here, Naknek River Camp, which we still own. We've been operating that one for 14 years now. And then, uh, and then four years ago, we expanded to add Cat My Trophy Lodge to the, to the list and i run that i run that one. Oh, cool that's okay so yeah, that was camp and i run uh camp my trophy lodge now. oh okay and what's the difference between the the knack knack is that kind of more of a uh, river i mean river camp i guess it's a one's a lodge and one's more of a river on the river sort of camping yeah no it's, it's still not camping we have so we have 10 guest cabins on the water and then we have a main main dining lodge back away from the water um, and it's just slightly more rustic. One's at the outlet of, uh, the Naknik River where it flows right out of Naknik Lake. So it gives us quick, easy access to, uh, some of the tributaries to Naknik Lake. And then, uh, also that very upper river fishing and the ones at, um, kind of the, the mid river point which, where we're starting to see a little bit of tidal influence a little closer to the downriver salmon, um, kind of more centrally located on the river and it's all you know it's a little bit a little bit nicer uh, accommodations it's uh more your traditional like log lodge sort Mm -hmm. of feel Mm -hmm. nice what was the uh do you remember the name of that uh drift boat you guys pulled up there back when you were uh a kid yeah it was one of those uh it was one of the the first generation stealth crafts. Oh, so it was one of your one of your boats. Yeah, yeah. That, I was hoping to yeah dig into that a little bit on the stealth. Maybe we'll we'll hold that for a little bit because I want to. I'm kind of a drift boat uh, kind of a nerd too. I love <laughs> love the drift boat, so I want to get into that. But uh, I did want to touch on. You know, so the, the Pier Marquette in that area, I know you haven't spent much time over there, out there, you know, as of late with everything you have going. But I mean, I know a few people that spent some time and I've interviewed them some on, on this show. You know, what was the, you know, the lodge, the Orvis? Can you take us to that lodge? Was, cause I, I hear a lot about Orvis fly shops, but is that just an endorsed lodge where people go up to Orvis, they sign up through there and then they go out to your lodge to fish? Yeah. So it was, it was a, you know, it was privately owned. Like we, it was ours. It wasn't an Orvis lodge, but it was just a kind of an Orvis endorsed outfitter. And at the time we were the largest Orvis, you know, Orvis outfitter on the East side of the Mississippi had 18 full-time guides working out of there. At the time of, uh, at the time of sale, which was back in 2000. So quite a while ago now. Okay. And what was, so your dad, did he have, I mean, what was his background? Was he always a, a guide lodge owner or what, how did he get into all that? Um, no, not until he started, not until he got up there and, uh, and bought the cabins, which eventually turned into the lodge in Michigan. He, uh, 
he grew up in uh, Toledo, Ohio. They're just on the border of Michigan, and uh, uh, his dad wasn't really in the picture at all. And, uh, he, you know, he'd been gone and presumed dead since he was a kid, and he showed up later in life, but that's another story. Mm. Um, and uh, his mom was a school teacher, so she had the summers off, and uh, she would let uh, him and his younger brother, Tom, who actually still guides um, for my dad up at uh, Nectic River Camp, and uh, worked with him in Michigan, he would... He, she would let uh, those two kind of plan their summer out. So they would, uh, they had a little camper van and they'd drive around and go, go fishing and whatnot. And they were kind of always into it, just sort of on their own. Um, just kind of accidentally got into it, reading Field and Stream that was laying around. Uh, my, uh, their grandpa was a little bit of an outdoorsman, but, you know, not a fly fisherman. He'd, fish uh, bass in the local ponds and, you know, take them deer hunting and stuff like that. So I guess that that's kind of how they mm. they originally started to get into the outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, so so then he acquires or uh, eventually, uh, what, what did your, so your mom was a teacher, what, what did your dad do before he got into the lot, purchased the lodge and stuff? Really nothing. I mean, he was 24, so. Oh, wow. I guess that was a long time ago. That, that was a different time. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. he was he was young. I mean, he was so he started out of school. He managed uh, restaurants for the Quaker Oats, Oats Corporation, and my mom, um, you know, they met in college, got married uh, at nineteen. So you know, way oh, too right. young. And uh, <laughs> then, uh, so they managed restaurants, and then uh, dad ran uh, the food service at Caberface Ski Resort one winter, and uh, he also got his real estate license, so he did a little bit of real estate. But that basically that whole time, he was looking at it as, you know, he knew he wanted to be in the outdoor and lodge industry, and he was kind of doing that other stuff just to hmm. kind of try and figure out, you know, figure out the program before he jumped in. You know, they were poor. They didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. So he didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity to mess up. Gotcha. Gotcha. So wow. Learn that hospitality and food service and, you know, dealing with, dealing with people sort of yeah. huh. program where he got into it. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's a cool story. And then, I mean, what is the, the secret you guys have been going, you said for 14 years, did you say you've had the lodge up there in Alaska? Yeah. 14 years up in Alaska now we've had the camp and then we've had, we purchased Camp my trophy lodge four years ago and it was a, existing lodge at the time yeah nice what, what do you think has been the you know what's the what's the hardest thing about running a, a lodge making it successful oh i mean there's lots of hard things about running a lodge and yeah. making it successful i mean people think it's people think it's just a walk in a park but i mean it's alaska's tough it's a mm-hmm. tough environment we've got you know all kinds of logistical issues all the time i mean where we're at it's not as bad as where a lot of lodges are, but you know, everything's difficult up here that the weather is tough on things, getting supplies, getting what you need is expensive and time consuming, uh, you know, living in, you know, keeping a, a staff of people 
that are all knowledgeable and hardworking and that can spend five months together without trying to kill each other. Right. <laughs> so, have you, have you had some people, have you had some in a wilderness area with, with <laughs> the same people where, where you can't get away for extended periods of time? Gosh, I, I, I had a fr- uh, I had a friend who was on um, he was a commercial fisherman up there and he he told me this story one time his uh, one of his uh, boatmates kind of lost it you know because they were a few of them on this boat same thing for three or four months or whatever and man he just went nuts grabbed a frying pan and, and basically tried to hit him over the head with a frying pan and just I mean <laughs> did you guys ever have I guess that's the extreme version have you you had to deal with some situations like that yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've had uh we've had several times where guides have threatened other guides with knives. Oh, wow. And uh Yeah, it's been been good. There you, you know, of course <laughs> you get the occasional bite. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, so I mean it is the when you look back at, you know, where you're at now and it's been a little while, but you look at that uh 4-year-old kid or whatever you you told your dad you wanted to lodge is it pretty much what you pictured now when you where you're at? Uh, yeah, you know, I'd say it's pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much there. I mean, I was, I was 11 at the time. I wasn't oh, quite four when I right. picked up, uh, but I might as well have been. Yeah, 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 11, four, uh, that's pretty close. No, I mean, I, I, just like everybody else, I think about, you know, what else I could be doing and what I, you know, what I should be doing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, the, and there's not many things like I, I would, I would trade for. Still, I mean, there's it has its tough days and its tough months, but but overall, like I I can't think of a job that I would rather be doing. Yeah, and you and you're up there from pretty much maybe maybe yeah. Tom Brady. I'd probably trade for Tom Brady. Oh, really? Is is football? Is yeah. that is that your uh, is that your sport? Football? Yeah, I mean back back when I was a kid, I used to like to play football. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, well, I'm a little ways out of the football days now, but. What, uh, so how, how old are you? I'm 26. Oh yeah. You're, yeah, you're super, you're super young. So you're, uh, that's what I was trying to figure out the, the numbers there. So yeah, Roy, it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah. When you think about it, 14 years, that only brings you back. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't too long yeah. ago. Okay, cool. So yeah, Tom Brady. And what, I mean, if you had to, if you would have gone pro in, in a sport, what, what sport would it, did you have your best shot? Oh, uh, man, I, I am smart enough to realize that I wasn't going to go pro in any sport, but <laughs> if, if there was one, what were you, was what were you best good, at? I'm a pretty good baseball player. Okay. Baseball. Cool. All right on. All right. Yeah. Baseball cool. was my best. I much preferred playing football and I was a pretty good football player, but I was a much better baseball player. Gotcha. And you were uh, a hitter or what was your position? Um, well, so I pitched, uh, but definitely my strongest, I was I was a hitter. Yeah, like nice. that was that was definitely I was I was really good. I could, you know, really good being on. I never played at any sort of high level. I feel like I could have, but it's easy to feel like you could have. I know. Um, yeah, I played. But, yeah, baseball was one of my sports too. I, I know if it, it was. It's a great sport. It's uh, not easy though. I was I wasn't really a home run hitter. I always loved seeing people that could jack it out of the park, you know, because I, I think I only hit one or two homers in my life, but, uh, no, well, we could, we could kind of BS a little, this is all good stuff, but I did want to get into, you know, a little bit more on the kind of Alaska fishing. Um, you know, maybe we can just dig in first and say, you know, you start, when do you first get up to Alaska? You get up there in like J- June or the spring or when do you first 
get up there? Uh, mid-late May. Okay, mid-late May, and then you're there through uh, the fall? Yeah, so, so this year I arrived May 24th, and I'll be here until approximately November 5th. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So, so pretty good long season. Yeah, that's a, that's awesome. And so you're there a good chunk. And if you had to pick, you know, say yourself, if you had, um, you know, pick a species that you wanted to fish for and you could only pick one time a year, what, what time of, uh, you know, during that period would you go for? Oh, I would, I would personally definitely pick trout in the fall. In the fall. And that's just because they're a little bit bigger and you can kind of fatter sort of thing or why the fall? You see fish in the fall that you don't ever see the rest of the year. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And you're talking about, so, I mean, the, the, the rain, the, yeah. Uh, what's, go, yeah. what's going on in the fall versus, say, the late June, early July? Um, well, it's just when the big lake fish come out and they come down into the river. I mean, they're trying to pack on those last few pounds before winter. They're feeding on what few salmon eggs are left and, uh, and on the heaps of salmon flesh floating down the river. Gotcha. Okay. And what, and, uh, you know, and it helps that they've had all season to grow too, but, but you do get just, uh, you get those freak trout right. showing up then that you don't have the rest of the year. What, what, and a freak trout is like a, what, like 15 pound, 20 pound trout. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. It, and what about if you had a new person for their first trip up to Alaska? What, what would you recommend if they could pick any time of year? When, when, when do you think would be the best? To, you know. So for for first timers, I usually suggest kind of midsummer because you get in the midsummer time frame. That's when you get what most people's idea of classic Alaska is. You know, that's when you have the bears running around. You have salmon. You have streams filled full of red salmon. You have uh, the high numbers of fish being caught on, you know, beads and stuff and, um, you know, lots of chrome salmon swimming around in the rivers. And so it gives you a good, uh, mm-hmm. gives you a good diversity. Yep. Yeah, it's when you have the most species of salmon all in the river. So if you've never caught any of them, it's fun to be able to, you know, knock a few off the, the hit list, if you will. Yep. Gotcha. So, so like, uh, maybe if you had to pick a 10 day period, maybe a mid August sort of thing sometime in August. Yeah. Or even, or even mid July, but basically if you've never been here before and you're just trying to experience whatever, and you don't have anything in, in mind, mid July to mid August is a pretty hard time to beat. Okay. All right, perfect. And that, yeah, you get the, well, you get some, uh, some reds, you get silvers and no, you, you miss the Kings, right? If you're in there kind of mid July to August. Well, if you get in the July time frame, you're still getting Kings, August, you know, King season closes with, uh, the month of July. So not, you know, no Kings in August, but August, you'll get more chums and pinks starting to show up. You get in the silvers. So I mean, it's just a it's just a good time of year where you have a whole lot of things going on and lots of different styles of fishing and lots of you know lots of lots of stuff happening to where you can decide you know what you really 
what you really like and see as much of it at one time as you possibly could. Mm-hmm. What, um, and for, uh, God, yeah. So maybe a July 20th through 30th, then you get a little somewhere in there, you might catch a few Kings and you'll still maybe get some coho. And then also in that July, early August, are you still getting rainbows pretty much throughout the whole summer? Yeah, we get rainbows all summer. Um, we don't, uh, we kind of consider spring and fall to be our rainbow season, but it's, but it's really always pretty good. Um, you know, you have, you have opportunities at 24 to 28 inch fish pretty much every day on the knack um, no matter what time of year it is. Mm. And then, uh, you know, there's always rivers that we can boat to and fly to that are fishing really well for trout. Oh, okay. No matter what time of year it is. And that's pretty much how you guys do it. People come into the, the lodge and they fly out to different destinations each day. Um, you know, it depends. We have, we have a couple different package options that, that people can choose from, but, um, you know, so our standard package, um, you're going, doesn't include any fly outs. Um, but a lot of people will just add a day fly out Mm -hmm. into it. Um, I would say that's probably most common to where somebody will book the base package and then, and then add a fly out when they get up here. Okay. Um, and then we do, we include a boat trip across Naknek Lake to the famous Brooks Falls and Brooks River. We'll go over there and hike around and fish. And oh, nice. It's just such an iconic site that I feel like everybody, at least if you haven't seen it there, if you haven't seen it before, you should go over and see it just because it's, you know, yeah, such a such a unique area. Right. And it, what is the Brooks Falls? It's just a amazing waterfalls and kind of just a cool area. Yeah. So it, basically if you've ever seen a picture of a bear catching a fish at a waterfall. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's that, that's where it is. Oh, that's it. Awesome. Okay. Nice. Well, that gives me so a we go there by boat and also has great rainbow trout fishing. So, Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Now that, that gives me a little perspective on what you have going. Well, I guess, you know, if we, and you guys catch Chinook out there, you're, you're swinging or not swinging flies, but you're, you're using flies. I mean, I know some of these lodges, they're only going with gear to get the Chinook, but are you getting them on flies? Yeah, we, we fly fish them more than we do anything else. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we can just uh, break down a little bit. Talk about if we did say Chinook, you know, if, if somebody was going out for some shook, how they might get into, you know, the setup to use to catch Chinook. Is that a, something special or are you using beads? Are you swinging? What, what, what type of gear are you using? Uh, we're mostly swinging. Um, beads can be pretty effective for them as well at times, you know, especially like large 10 to 14, 14 millimeter beads. Um, but mostly swinging flies, uh, either single hand or spay, whatever their preference is, but we do a lot of spay fishing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, really single hand, you want anything from a eight to a 10. Ideally you're looking at more like a nine or a 10 weight rod. Yeah. Uh, with a fairly fast sink line. Um, and then, uh, two handed stuff. You really, you know, minimum you're looking at like a 13 foot eight, uh, all the way up to however heavy you want to go. But usually I would say, you know, anything over a nine is unnecessary. Okay. 
and other than the gear, if you think of, you know, the, the other salmon species, are you pretty much doing the same thing? Pretty much just casting out, swinging it down. You can swing up all those, you know, whether it's a coho or sockeye or anything else. Um, kings and chums are by far the most uh, responsive to a swung fly. Mm-hmm. The, the rest of the salmon, you know, sockeye, you're drifting for them. And then, uh, I mean, pinks, I guess pinks take a swung fly fine too. But silvers in particular do not take a swung fly very well. Hmm. They, stri- they uh, strip them? Yeah, you got to strip them. Yep. Which is I mean, cool. Can, and it partially is uh, is due to where they sit. You know, and they're not in like very swingable water. They sit on shallow inside flats and mm. kind of out of the current and whatnot in a lot of places. But even when they're in like pretty swingable areas, just they can, you know, a slow, steady swung fly does not work very well. Yep. Gotcha. And, and for Chinook, it, it, it does. I mean, you're out there with a sinking line, get it down to them. Get in, get in front of them, and is it pretty? Like, how many on a you know a good day out there? Are you getting into a, a few chances? Or are you kind of nailing fish all day? You know, it just depends. Yeah, it, you know, it's fishing. Yeah, <laughs> some days some days you knock them out, and some days you only hook a couple. But, yeah, but uh, we do pretty well. Yeah, how does that go? When I mean, we talked a little bit just starting out here, just on. You know, you mentioned, I guess, off air there, just on the war, you know, things are low, warm, maybe the conditions are a little different. I mean, you know, when, when it's not quite right and somebody goes up there for a week and, uh, and maybe fishing's tough, how, how is that? How do you, you know, I mean, everybody knows it's fishing, but how, how does that go down on a trip like that? Um, I mean, even when it's tough up here, it's still usually pretty good. Okay. You know, we're just, <laughs> we're just spoiled. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, definitely you can have tough days and, uh, you know, and most people understand that fishing's fishing. If you fish a lot, you should understand that fishing's fishing no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not to say that some people don't get a little, you know, a little bit upset if they don't, you know, they think they come to Alaska and they should, and they're great anglers and they should catch all kinds of fish, even though that they really don't, you know, you know, they trout set every salmon that, that, that day and then <laughs> they're mad that they didn't hardly catch any salmon but that's gonna you know that'll happen that yeah it's just something that you have to you know know and prepare for as a guide or a a business owner but um but with a week you know with a week and with the fishery up here and all the diversity that we have like we're a lot more fortunate than most places to where you know a lot of lodges and a lot of areas are kind of you know a little bit of a one-trick pony Hmm. Uh, but we've got so many different rivers that we can fish, especially if you throw flyouts into the mix, but even mm-hmm. without flyouts, that there's always going to be a, multiple things that are fishing really well at any given time, no matter what's happening. We've got stuff that's going really, really well. And the only time that we'll get into issues um, with tough fishing is, you know, every once in a while you'll go to some other creek or, or whatnot, or you might go to a fly out and it's just not, you know, and it's not going there yet, or it's not kicking off. The fish moved out. It got too warm, whatever. I mean, you can have a missed day every once in a while. Sure. Um, or if, you know, you're really, you know, stuck on, this is the fish that I want to catch. Right. 
Um, you know, if you're not willing, we've got five different species of salmon that we get in this river. We get Dolly Varden, Arctic char, rainbows, lake trout, grayling, pike. Hmm. You know, so there's going to be something that's fishing really well at any given time. Mm-hmm. It's just if you're willing to fish for them. So, like, for instance, let's say that it's the first, you know, it's the last week of June or first week of July, and they're netting both tides. The commercial guys are netting both tides at the mouth, and, you know, there's not hardly any sockeye running up because they're all getting oh, killed wow. at the mouth. Oh, wow. And this guy really wants to fish for sockeye. And so he's going to stick it out and fish for sockeye all day, and he's going to catch three fish, and he's going to be mad about it when 100 yards downstream there's 25-inch rainbows crashing sockeye salmon's bowl all day long. And he's going to sit there and watch them and ignore them and stand here without any sockeye swimming by. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. So you you can choose to have a tough day as opposed to switching tactics and uh, yeah. having a great day. So so good advice for Alaska is to come up there and just be open to whatever the, the day or the trip gives you, just go yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that that's good. You know, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you know, it's good to not, if something isn't happening, it's good to not beat your head against the wall and, you know, be open to, to just having fun. Because there's, or, you know, like let's say that, Another prime example is you're, you know, you're here in the, whatever reason the silvers aren't around that day or something, there's chum salmon, and this will apply in, you know, tons of places all over the state of Alaska. The silvers aren't in really good wherever you're at that day, but there's hundreds and hundreds of chum salmon in the same run. (laughs) Chum salmon get are the same size if not bigger than silvers they fight great they bite flies really well you can catch them on top water you can catch them on a swung fly Hmm. they look really cool and yet you know people all the time consistently will say oh i don't want to catch chums i want to catch silvers why really no good reason the the only difference is that silvers jump a little bit more and chums you know kind of pull they're more like really like brown trout versus rainbow on the fight Hmm. And then, uh, although even really not quite that dramatic and, uh, chums don't taste very good and silvers taste great. And half the time those guys aren't even keeping the fish anyway. I was going to say, yeah, are people going up there packing their coolers like 50 pounds and heading home? That's kind of, that's a bit of an Alaskan standard really. Um, pretty much. Is that what everybody comes up with? Lots of guys, lots of guys do up here. I believe we have a lot that don't as well, but depends on the time of year and peak silver season, in peak sockeye season, we have a lot of people bringing fish home. Those gotcha. are the only two fish that we let people keep. Yep, yep. And have you seen, I mean, I know runs, you know, go up and down, but have you seen, is it a pretty steady, you know, over the, you've been there now, for you know, for 14 years, have you seen, uh, you know, over the time that the runs are pretty steady? Um, the run timings are very, are very consistent. Like if we get a week of fluctuation, that's a ton um, and then as far as numbers go, we definitely get some fluctuations. Um, but we haven't really had any bad years. Yeah. It's been pretty, you know, it's pretty, pretty good. Both with sockeye and king. We've had a couple tough king years, uh, in the last 14 years, but 
some people might argue, but I don't think that that was numbers of kings. I think that that our issues that we've had into with the tougher years are just like basically sunny days. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. You know, if you have sunny days, salmon do not bite as well. Okay. If you have cloudy days, they bite a lot better. Um, you know, you can see plenty of them around. And then when spawning season comes around, they all pile up onto those flats. There's kings spawning all over the place. So, yeah. Um, and then like right now we're having the toughest silver year that we've had in 14 years. Uh, I would say by far Hmm. now we've still had some pretty good success on them, but we've also had some really tough silver days. Um, and you know, people are talking about it and I'm, and it's fully in my mind contributed to that. We've had 70 to 80 degree weather every single day this summer. We've got no, we don't have any water. And, uh, I mean, finally it's cooling back to an almost reasonable level. I mean, we're, we're down to like 63 degree water temps now. Um, mm-hmm. but it was almost 70. No kidding. Earlier silver season. And the fish have been swimming by, like you can see schools of silver is just piling by a piling by a, and they're just, uh, I think that they're swimming up and they're holding in the colder temperatures in the lake. Oh, right. Deeper water. There you go. There you go. Okay, and stop aging where they normally would. So people are like, "Oh man, there's no silvers in the river. There's no silvers. What's wrong with our silver run?" And I'm sitting here saying, "Yeah, I think they're running just fine." Yeah, it's just and is we're just not catching them as we normally would, and they're not stopping where they normally would. Gotcha. So it's just a little fluctuations with the. Uh... Just changes, yeah. Temperature. I mean, obviously, that's one of the biggest factors for any any fish species, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, exactly. What's the, um, you know, I guess going back to the lodge, if somebody comes up there, you know, and they wanted to go to a lodge, what would be, you know, I'm kind of setting up myself trying to get a, trying to set up potentially a hosted trip for, you know, next summer. And I'm kind of getting, asking some of the listeners of the podcast, what, you know, what they're interested in. And some of the questions that are coming back are like, what do the lodges, you know, what do they offer? you know, things like this, little things, you know, flies, leaders, basics. Can you just walk us through that? You know, if somebody was to come up there, what they need to bring, or is there a resource or guidance somewhere where they can kind of dig in to know exactly to get prepared for a trip? Yeah, I mean, so most lodges will send some form of a packing list out or they'll have some form of a packing list on their website. Um, You know, like, Speaking for us, you know, we provide all the gear and flies and theater and whatnot needed. Um, you know, the guides have all that stuff every day. Most people, we tell people that if they have rods and whatnot, they should bring them. And a lot of times they don't even necessarily use them, and sometimes they do. Hmm. Uh, but any time that people don't have the right gear, we, uh, you know, we can supply it. Okay. And then, uh, you know, we even have, like, waders and waiting jackets and oh, stuff. Wow people we but we typically tell everybody again that they should bring their own you know waders and rain gear and sure. whatnot and we just kind of keep ours in bears yeah. um okay and as far as but as far as fishing gear flies beads yeah. rods and we you know we, all covered. we provide all that stuff okay so there's pretty much nothing you know as far as coming up there yeah people bring a normal fishing trip, but there's nothing special. It's kind of all covered. There's nothing they need to really think about bringing up. No, we try and take care of that for them. I mean, people always, no matter what, people always show up with all the wrong stuff. So, 
Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you said nine, 10 weight, but, uh, you know, there's people show up with a seven weight. Could you, I guess if you're fishing for some of the smaller fish, that would be great if you're going for grayling and stuff like that. Yeah. So we fish mostly like on the smaller streams that we fly and we boat to, we're fishing five, six weights and floating lines for rainbows. Some of the streams in early season, you could throw four around for oh, wow. drive by grayling. Yep. And then, uh, we do on the main river for trout, we fish seven and eight weights for salmon. We fish eight, nine weights mm-hmm. and that, you know, and that pretty much covers it. Okay. All right, good. Um, well, I, you know, we touched a little bit on just some of the fishing there. I did want to go back to the the stealth craft because I don't want to miss that um, because I'm kind of interested in, you know, the drift boat. Can you take us back to, you know, I guess you were a little bit too young, but maybe tell the story of how that came to be because, you know, up here I'm, I'm out in kind of the Pacific Northwest and we've got, you know, Koffler and Willies. There's a whole bunch of drift boats down there, but the stealth craft is one that, I mean, I've heard about, but you don't see as many of them just because they're not out here. Um, how'd that all begin? So, uh, basically, Dad just got tired of not liking any of the drift boats that were, that were around on the market, so he started making his own. Um, you know, he had the lodge out there in Michigan. He started doing it later years in the lodge, but, um, you know, he sold, he, he had sold uh, clackas and hides. Oh, okay. There. Oh, gotcha. Over the years, but... Um, just had, you know, issues dealing with them to some extent. But uh, the biggest thing that he didn't like about them is the, the rod storage and the actual gear storage issues. And then in addition to that, he's always been a big believer in, uh, you know, in stealth to an extent. And it's not really true with the, you know, with the company as much anymore as it was in the beginning. But uh, but he hated all the bright colors and whites and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that, that they use on the side of those, uh, basically the normal fiberglass drift boats. And uh, and he really hated the aluminum ones. And you start talking about like Koffler and Willie and stuff because they're just, you know, the Pure Marquette that we're fishing in Michigan primarily is a small stream and it's quiet or, you know, you have to be pretty quiet and you're bumping rocks. And so he wanted something to deaden the noise a little bit. And he wanted, uh, and he wanted a boat with, uh, you know, and a little bit more natural colors or even camo colors. So a lot of those early stealth crafts he did in, uh, he did in camos, you know, that was aqua design camo was the thing for a long time. And he even did like real tree camo and stuff just to break up the silhouettes. And, uh, and then he built them with full rod trays and, you know, under rod tray storage and boxes to put all the gear in because, you know, as a guide there, you hate not having places to put your stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much all the boats are open and you have to have, you know, dry bags for for your guests, for your, your guest gear and we're in the boats that he wanted. He wanted to be able to have walkthrough areas and gear storage and all that. So, started designing his own boat, started building them, and basically uh, just got out of it when we started doing Alaska. It just kind of became too much for him, so he sold the company to uh, Mike Bagke, who still runs it to this day. Oh, okay. There you go. So it's it's still going. I didn't realize, yeah, so he sold it, and 
And they, so the unique thing, what's that? It's growing. He's been doing, uh, he's been doing really well with it. I mean, the company's grown every year. It gets bigger and bigger and has more models and he's doing a raft program now. He's got, uh, you know, jet boats and power drifters and we actually run several of the power drifters up here on the NACNIC. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is a power drifter is just kind of a, a mix between a drift boat and a, like a sled with the motor on the back. Yeah, so it's yeah, basically a drift boat with a you know a drift boat with a motor. Yep. But uh, you know, run you know twenty five miles an hour and okay, roll like a drift boat. Gotcha. Yeah, the design. I'm not sure if this was the original design, but I've seen some of the photos of the of the drift boats, and they have a kind of a unique, like a low. You know, you've got the oars that are kind of set a little higher, but then the, the gunnels are kind of cut down and they swing down. And I mean, is that was that the original design to? And it, and what's the deadening? Was there some sort of technology where you know the the foot on the bottom was deadened or something? Yeah. So he builds them all with uh, with a honeycomb core. So. It has a honeycomb core with glass on both sides, and that honeycomb just absorbs some of the noise. Mm. And it also allows them to have, a, you know, in theory anyway, a little bit stiffer boat with less glass. So he, so they don't flex like, uh, like most like pure fiberglass drift boats would. Oh, okay. Oh, right. They don't flex. So they're it's a and is it aluminum? I mean, are the boats the drift boats are they aluminum? No, they're fiberglass. Oh, so they're fiberglass. Okay. Honeycomb composite core, and then with fiberglass wrapped on both sides of it. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so it doesn't. So does it bend? You know, like the Clackercrafts, when you get them, the, the whole boat kind of bends. Does it, do they bend like that? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. That doesn't bend like that. Oh, I see. Cool. So, but it still probably slides really nicely over rocks and is quiet and has all that advantage too. Yep. You know, as far as, you know, getting back to the, the, the Chinook fishing, is there, you know, again, if somebody was coming up there, is there anything, you know, special if they're kind of wanting to target, you know, go for Chinook especially that we should, you know, cover here? Or is it pretty pretty simple? Just grab a couple sinking lines and a nine-weight rod and you're good to go? Yeah, I mean, there there's obviously lots of, uh, you know, little little things that you can pick up, but most of those are pretty on, pretty on water. I mean, it's just the biggest thing is getting down. You just have to be able to get down to them. Yeah. That's so, yeah. How, I mean, how, how do you get down? I mean, do you, you guys using a lot of weight on the flies? Um, yes and no. Uh, just it's situational. I usually run most of the weight in the tips though. Oh, you do. Okay. So in, oh, in that, gotcha. I, in the sink tip and then, uh, and then I adjust from, I'll have anything from floating flies to heavily weighted flies. And then if, you know, and then I will kind of adjust that based upon the depth of the run and where we're fishing. But usually I fish lightly weighted or unweighted flies and, uh, and just rely on my sink tip to get my fly down for me. Okay. And, and what sort of uh, lines you guys are using out there? Um, well, I mostly use a floating Skagit and then anywhere from, you know, depending upon your, the runyon that you're fishing anywhere from T11 to T20. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, uh, and then single hand, uh, single hand, I usually run again, it's going to vary a lot, but like if I had to pick one, I'd probably say a 350 or 400 grain sink tip. Yep. Okay. So you're using like, uh, 
Yeah, like a T11 or T, I mean, like a 10 foot section or something like that, or seven or 10 foot, or are you using longer sections? Yeah, like, like, no, uh, like 10 feet. Yeah, yeah, normal. Okay. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty normal game. And the rivers, are they fairly stable? I mean, it's summertime, so the things, do they, is all that fairly stable and typical, a typical year? Uh, yeah, we don't, our water levels are pretty stable. Like, we don't get, we don't get big blowouts or anything like that where we're at. Okay. All right. The you know, the Nagnik flows out of uh, a forty five mile long lake, and uh, it takes a lot of time for that lake to go up and down. So really, we're pretty much uh, you, you. We really can't get blown out. Yeah. Like we don't we don't get unfishable conditions, and the river doesn't raise dramatically overnight, and. Some of the creeks that we fish do, but um, but they're all unnecessary. I mean, if it if it rains and the creek blows out, you just don't go fish it. So yep, gotcha. What are your? Uh, do you have a couple of like top if you know Chinook flies that you you have to choose two flies that you go with? I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to beat. You know, just a plain old intruder. Mm-hmm. We fish a lot of, and we pretty much all tie ourselves like we all tie but we mostly just fish intruder variations just uh, black I tie and with box a lot what, what colors um uh, chartreuse chartreuse and blue pink mm-hmm. orange fairly hot colors yep um is there a fly is there a name pink, is there a is na- yeah one of pink definitely one of my favorites but, yeah, yeah. Uh, pink but chartreuse and chartreuse and blue are both obviously great colors as well yeah yeah we used to i used to tie a lot of alaska flies for people going up there back in the day you know this is you know quite a while ago it, it was kind of before the intruder revolution sort of thing but yeah we used to tie a lot of i think one of the favorite was like a yeah pink a big long pink wing you know with a silver body kind of a flashy mylar kind of a tinsel by do you guys use a lot of flash and stuff like that in them um a little bit of flash i don't use a lot of flash mm-hmm. but it depends you know it depends on the day it depends on the pattern i i usually am on the light flash side okay is there a do you have a name of a fly that you might be able to google up or is are they all just kind of your own stuff honestly i'm pretty bad about that because i pretty much just always use my own stuff yeah yeah that's cool all right. And do you do, um, I mean, are you on the, you're running the lodge, but I mean, uh, do you, have you done some guiding? Do you do guiding? Is that something you, you enjoy? Uh, you know, I've guided a lot over the years. Um, you know, I guided in Michigan for eight years and I've been guiding up here since I was a baby. Um, but I still do guide a fair bit. I don't guide as much as I used to. I've been guiding, Probably less every year since I started doing the, you know, the lodge here, but, uh, I still guide maybe, oh, I still guide 80 days up here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You still, you're still doing it. So quite a bit. Uh Yeah. I was, I've guided every day this week. I'm only off today to talk to you. I'll go back to guiding again tomorrow. No kidding. That's cool. What was the, yeah. uh, what would you guide with Michigan? Was that like steelhead salmon or what were you doing there? Yeah. So I did steelhead salmon trout and then, 
I did that for several years and then I stopped doing the salmon program and, uh, and the trout, I stopped doing trout first so that I could, uh, consider May to be, uh, my tarpon season. Because mm. you know you got to have tarpon season in there. Yep. And then, uh, and then I started, uh, and then I stopped going back to Michigan for salmon season to stay up and do the you know a little bit more of the fall trout fishing. Mm. And uh, then two springs ago was my uh, retirement run for steelhead. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So you did the the winter kind of cold cold winter steelhead, right? Yeah, I used to do, uh, I would do basically end of October, November, and then uh, into March and first half of April for steelhead. Okay. Yeah, that's that how, was what I was doing the last several years. Yeah. How was the, uh, so you did some Chinook uh, fishing in Michigan. Is there a, a big difference between that and Chinook fishing in Alaska? Oh, there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think is the biggest? Yeah, they're, uh, yeah. they're, a, different, they're a different fish for for sure. The kings here are just so much meaner. Hmm. They're aggressive. Much much meaner. They they are far more aggressive. They, I mean, they're the kings here. Are, they're nasty. Yeah. Are they? They just they just kill. lots of lots of jumping and kind of tearing you up. Yep, they fight hard. I mean, the Kings of Michigan fight hard and run around and jump too. It's not as much of a difference there. They just they're more aggressive. The Kings up here are just more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Fight more, fight harder. Yeah, it's a, it's a different animal, for sure. Right. Were you swinging for steelhead in Michigan, uh, guiding there? Some swigging, uh, mostly nymphy, you know, like mostly beads. Yeah, that's right, and that's the same bead thing you guys do up there for salmon kind of typical typical thing just bead with some weight get down to them and yep okay yep it's some swinging but for the most part you don't catch very many fish swinging in michigan yeah. <laughs> and uh when it comes down to it even people that think that they want to swing would really rather catch fish exactly but, <laughs> most uh, people they, they're, they're really they're, yeah Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the really crazy ones. Uh, there are some really crazy ones. I mean, that's the people that are only want to take them on a dry fly on the surface, steelhead fishermen, which is right. know, pretty intense. That's true. That's true. I didn't get many of those, but I had a handful of guys that I take that we do swing trips every year in Michigan. And then, uh, and then I would swing myself in Michigan when I would go out fishing. But, uh, but man, it's so much better up here. Yeah. That's why you're up there for uh, the six months. Actually, yeah. The fish up here actually like to take a swung fly. The fish there do not. No. Same with Kings. The Kings in Michigan do not want to bite a swung fly. The steelhead in Michigan do not want to bite a swung fly. And the ones up here, they just want to kill it. Yep. That's awesome. Cool. What, what's, you know, if you had somebody, you know, up there again, take that person up on their first trip into the lodge, they're out there going for Chinook. Would you have a couple of tips you might give them to help them get into a fish? Um, yeah, I mean, so it's basically the biggest thing. If, if you can have one simple tip 
to to get people swinging properly, um, it's that the fly always has to track through before the tip. And people and it and it seems like that would be a common thing, like it, just kind of a common sense thing to say, but it's really not. And people can't don't consistently do it, but it makes a world of difference when you're pre- when you're presenting the fly. You know, when you're casting the fly, when you're presenting the fly, when you're swinging the fly, you always have to think about how how everything's unfolding, how your line is tracking, and make sure that you're showing the fish the fly before you show them the sink tip. Because if that's not the case, that tip runs through. Yeah. You know, you get a little bit of bow, the tip runs through, it pushes the fish out of the way, and they never even see your fly. Oh, wow. Yep. So, you know, big throw downstream, throw big men's into it, do whatever it takes to keep that fly track and just behind your sink tip and in front of your sink tip. Mm-hmm. Are you and casting? Then, uh, how, far, how far are you casting? Uh, you know, you only need to really cast your schedule head in a lot of cases. Oh, okay. I mean, you could, it helps. If, it helps if you've got a little bit of game, but yep. if you can throw your schedule head, I'm usually pretty happy. Okay, so you're not hitting fish on the other side of the river sort of thing. No, you don't need to. And we, we do a lot of boat swinging, too. Oh, which makes okay. It um, yep. Just park closer to them. If you can't cast very far, I'll just park you closer to the fish. Okay, and then when they hook up. So so you said don't do a trout set. What, what What's the set you need to do with Chinook? Well, so basically... The other, you know, the other big thing that, that people do wrong all the time, anytime they're swinging flies, but, um, you know, with kings and rainbows alike, is you have to, you have to wait for it. You have to wait like an uncomfortably long time. And even big, even adult kings, they'll pluck the fly a lot. You'll get a lot of little grab, bump, bump, bump. <laughs> and, you know, you got to just let it wait, let it swing through. I, a lot of times, like to feed a little bit of line to them. Like, as if, oh, you, yeah. if I get a bump, I'll kind of extend my arm or lean into it or take a step or do something to try and drop that fly into them and trigger a bite. Yep. And then when that, when you set the hook, it's really not even as much of a set. The fish grabs. You have to wait until the fish turns, and then you should lift up into the downstream side. And if you can actually manage to do that, then you, you up your hookup percentage dramatically. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So basically just patience. They should really be pretty much, they should be pulling line off the reel. Damn. And are you seeing it a lot of times you seeing the fly kind of in the fish and kind of the eat? No, no. Okay. You're just no. feeling it. It's all feel. So, so you're using like a three foot leader length of leader or something like that? Uh, I know I usually would fish more like a, a five foot okay. leader. Just a five foot with uh, what? 15 pound or something like that for Chinook. Yep. 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 Just a straight, just a straight. Yeah, I don't like pound. really go. I don't like to go heavier than 15 pound if possible, because you start to break too many things that you don't want to break. That's right. Like, you know, tips and loops and oh, yeah. running line and that's right. Huh? Well, wow, fifteen okay. pound. If you can't land them on fifteen pound, you're just probably not going to land them anyway. So that's right. That's right. What What is the biggest? I mean, are you guys seeing some some fifty pound monsters up there? Or what's the average size Chinook? 
Um, you know, not, not really. We get, you know, 40 pounds is a, I mean, 30 pounds is a big fish for us. 40 pounds is a real big fish. Um, we do get several of those a year, 40 something pound Mm -hmm. fish. And I don't know what the biggest one we got this year was. Uh, The biggest one, we don't, we don't ever weigh them because at least for the most part, we don't remove them from the water. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but we measure them, and I think that the biggest one that we measured this year was 46 inches. I, I netted several that were 40, were just over 44 inches. And uh, I think our, our biggest one, we got two last year that were 48 inches. Jeez. That's cool. So, what, what, what um, are there any? Big. Yeah, that's a humongous. That's crazy. And it's basically, it's a, you know, I mean, a steelhead is a good fighter, a good jumper, but you're saying these schnook are every bit as, as a uh, vicious as a, as a nice bright steelhead. On the take. I mean, the Kings don't quite fight like a, they don't quite fight like a steelhead. Steelhead are faster and they jump higher. The Kings are more, they're more powerful. You know, they're, the fight's very different on a King than it is on a, on a steelhead. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> nice. Uh, so, and what about, you know, again, getting back to that person, they're heading up there. Is there a, you know, a resource or some resources may up maybe online or books or anything? If you, again, if we're focusing on Chinook, Alaska for, you know, Chinook that you would recommend they kind of check out, or is there a, anything come to mind on that? Any videos or anything that could maybe help them before they get up there? You know, honestly, not really that yeah. I can think of, but you know, I don't, I don't keep track of all the, uh, all the Alaska books and whatnot. Yep. You're just kind of, you're but, living uh, it. <laughs> I'm just kind of there. Yeah. Are you going to be there, uh, till, you know, you're kind of old. Is that, is that the plan? Are you, you sticking it? Do you have other plans that maybe move down to, uh, you know, the Bahamas or somewhere where it's warmer? Oh, it's hard to say. Yeah. I don't make plans that far in, in the future, but, <laughs> But no, I'm sure I'll get bored and do something else at some point. Yeah. I'd stick with, are you, is the fly uh, fishing, uh, you know, industry, is that, are you sticking in there? Oh that? yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in the, I'm going to stay in the industry, but I pretty much looked at, uh, at every potential location for a lodge in the world at this point, I think. So. Yeah. And what are the, I mean, but, other than Alaska, what are the other, the big, the big ones? Oh, there's. There's lots of there's lots of big ones, but uh, you know I've looked at South America, I looked at like Patagonia and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I've looked at lots of the remote islands out in the Pacific, and of course the Bahamas and Belize and Mexico and all those sorts of places. But yeah, I've got a couple ideas, and that's kind of my uh, my future view is I just kind of see growth. That's what I would like to do. I'd like to. You know, add. I'd like to kind of add lodges, mm-hmm. yeah. as if you know, if possible. Yeah, and don't I you? Have, I have the client for it. Yeah, are you? Do you go? I thought I might have heard or read that you were down in um, Belize or somewhere already in South America. Do you spend some time there each year? You know, this uh, during the winter. Yeah, I've spent five months the last two years down in Belize, and then uh, two to four months the prior six years. Okay. Yeah. And is Belize, how is that? I mean, that's pretty, uh, is, is there a potential there to maybe, you know, 
start something up there? Or is that pretty? I mean, is there are any of these places kind of crowded? Oh, yeah, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing. We have oh, okay. own operating so. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. So you're down there. Yep. Right on. All right. Well, any, um, you know, I guess we've kind of dug into a little bit on the, on the schnook. Is there anything, you know, you want to touch on as far as, you know, again, if somebody you think of that person that's maybe heading up to your lodge for the first time it, and you said they would, would you recommend more of the, the knack neck, um, kind of river lodge or do you, does it matter between the two that you guys have up there? For schnook? Yeah. Um, so the, the lodge, Katmai Trophy Lodge is definitely is much closer to the King water. Okay. So we, we, we run most of the King trips through, through the lodge, um, versus the camp. And then like, even if, if guys want to, you know, if guys want, we run the lodges kind of, we run them as sister lodges. So a lot of the, if we have guests up at the camp that want to do King fishing, a lot of times we'll have them go out with our guides. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And are there, there's not, not always, not always. Yeah. Are there a number of different, I mean, how many lodges are up there besides you guys in that area? There's quite a few. It's a popular area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the locations vary dependent upon, you know, how many people would be. Some of the rivers are, are fairly busy by Alaska standards anyway. And some of them you don't ever see anybody on and you get everything in between. So, yep. Okay. Right. But the, but there's plenty of lodges around, you know, King Sam and Bristol Bay. Yeah. That are flying around on the you know on the lower river. So we have the two farthest lodges up on the neck bank, and then there's and uh, then there's lodges like I've got another lodge within sight of my lodge, mm-hmm. right across the bay, and then there's a couple more down around the corner. Yep. Right on. And, uh, well, before I let you go, I had a little, uh, just a quick little rapid fire round. If you had a, a couple more minutes. Yep. No All, right. All right. Um, so I guess we'll start off with just, uh, you know, thinking of, you know, again, you've got a couple lodges, you know, you got some good stuff going and you got plans to maybe expand out. I mean, is there any, when you think of, you know, words of advice, you know, I don't know if your, your dad or anybody along the way has given you any that you remember anything you can, you know, kind of share that's helped you kind of guide you know, to get where where you are. Yeah. I mean, I'd just say, I'd just say it's a, you know, fly fishing's a small world and it's better to have friends than enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> possible. everybody, everybody knows everybody and. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's good to have friends. Yeah, that's true. Do you see that, that people, I mean, you hear that we've talked about that occasionally now on the, on this podcast that, you know, there's some strong personalities out there, but I mean, have you seen that with the people in the industry where they've made, you know, not made enough friends and they've kind of been exiled, so to speak, or is that, it just seems kind of weird because it seems like most of the people that I talk to are really, really great people. Yeah. I mean, sure. Most people. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, there's people that are not people that there's a lot of guys that are too big for their shorts. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, run into issues there. What's the, sure. how do you, how do you keep, from, how do you keep from, you know, getting, keeping grounded and keeping, I mean, you know, obviously you're running a lodge, some of the biggest lodge. How, how do you stay, 
make sure you're not too big for your shorts. Oh, I don't know. I'm not oh, saying I'm not. Are, are you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've seen some of those. You've, you've done some. Trying to, uh, you know, you just have to all keep it in perspective and, you know, think about, you know, think about what you're doing and yeah, what you should be doing. And you know, I try to try to help people out when possible. And yeah. Are, are you, are you pretty similar? Are you pretty similar to your dad, you, you and your dad, your personalities? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Pretty smart. Okay. And what about any any other, I mean, along the way, you know, have you had any other mentors, people that have really helped you in fly fishing or, you know, just along your journey? Yeah, no, I, I've been privileged enough to to fish with, you know, fish with and be around a lot of great anglers. And that, and that always, that always helps for sure. Helps you be, who you want to be. And I've never really had like, you know, too much in a way of casting lessons or instructional or any mm-hmm. sort of real teaching like that, but just being around, uh, being around people that are really good and, you know, and trying to pick up and learn from everybody as much as possible. I think that that's a key thing is, uh, to really be a great angler or guide or really great at anything in general. You have to be, willing and open to learn from other people that know more because almost no matter what everybody knows something that you don't know mm-hmm. whether you're a better fly fisherman than them or not whether you're a better spay caster than they are this guy has something you know this guy over here has something that you could learn from and something that he's done that can make you better um, and being able to recognize what those are and, and what, and also what isn't, you know, being able to also in the same token, being able to recognize that that is not better, but you know, if somebody's, you know, somebody's out fishing, you, you know, that's, that's one thing that I think that we've been really good at over the years and has helped us a lot to where we have a lot of great anglers and we're all friends and we talk every single day and, uh, and everybody's willing to help everybody out and that's, you know, key. So if, you know, if I go out and I have a tough day, let's say in the, you know, in the early years, I'd go out and maybe have a tough day and I'd come back and, uh, John Kessner crushed him. And, you know, so I'd sit down and talk to John and see what he did differently than what I did. And he would say, Oh, well, you were fishing too heavy a tippet or, Oh, you were, you know, that you were stripping and they, they really wanted to swing today because of blah, 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 or whatever. But, mm-hmm. and, uh, being able to, to receive and recognize and then knowing when to, you know, throw that into your repertoire is, is the difference between an average guide and a great guide, I think. Hmm. Do, do you guys have, uh, how do you find your guy? I mean, do you have a lot of turnover new guides every year or how, how does all that work? Uh, we pretty much don't hire any guides that we either don't know or aren't a reference from someone that we know well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then no, we don't really have much turnover at all. So at the lodge, I have all of my guides from last year are here. And so like, let's, you know, start from the top. I've got Miles Cluzane, whose dad guides for my dad at the camp and he's longtime guide in Michigan guide back in the lodge days. So it's his oldest son and he's been working for us for 12 years now. <laughs> and, and then, uh, my head guide Cody 
has been working for us for nine years. Oh. And Jake and Jeremy have been working for us for seven years. And then John, who you talked to, has been working for us for five years. And Chris has been working for us for five years. And then that was all of my guides from last year. And then this year I picked up a, a bonus guide that we weren't planning on having, who was uh, you know a friend of ours who was guiding up on another river. And, and she came down to do the last half of the season with us. So my only new guide is a is a bonus guide that I wasn't planning on having and all of my other guides are, are return. There you go. Do you, that is, that's really, I mean, that sounds like a pretty solid crew for sure. Do you, um, do you guys see many, I mean, women coming up there or what percentages on women coming up to, to fish? Um, you know, it's a lot more than it used to be, Mm -hmm. but it's still not very significant. Yeah, like like ten percent, twenty twenty percent. Definitely not twenty percent. Yeah, maybe five percent. Mm-hmm. Maybe five percent. Yeah. And uh, what? That's more than the two percent it used to be. Right. Yeah. It's slowly. It's slowly growing. Yeah, there's a, there's some movements coming on. Definitely, there's more women getting involved. But yeah, I think Alaska is kind of an extreme. Probably, well, they're probably you know, it's well, the temperature wise, yeah. it's amazing, right? It's a little bit, it's a little extreme, right? It's kind of the, the bears and uh, all that. Yeah, not not very many, and uh, and most of the women that most of the women that we do get are you know like coming up with their husbands and stuff. Yeah. Do you guys offer that where people we come up? Uh, do you guys offer that where people come up and you know maybe a guy a guy is going up there to fish the lodge and maybe the ladies are you know hanging around doing stuff around? I mean, there's things to do around there. Is that do people come up there to, to other than fish? Um, we do some. So the lodge before we bought it, fifty uh, percent of their clientele was just bear viewing. Oh wow. Non non anglers. Uh, we didn't carry that on because I don't see that to be a very viable program. Just based off of like those are one time trips, and we run off of a very high repeat client mm-hmm. program. So I think that it's much more worthwhile to you know to get somebody who's going to come back every year than to try and get someone who you're going to have to replace every year. Yep. Um, but there's definitely a market for that. And we definitely get some non anglers coming up and fishing with the, you know, the family and whatnot. But for the most part, they all still fish to some extent. And there's not a lot of other stuff to do other than, you know, go to the, the falls and, yep. you know, the falls and look at the bears and, yeah. and things like that. Wildlife viewing. That's kind of it. Okay. What's your, uh, you know, when you get off the, the river, what's your, your drink of choice in the evening? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, honestly, I'm not really, I'm not a big drinker, but, uh, no, no, not too much, especially up here. I'm too busy up here to really, to be much of a drinker, but, uh, 
I don't know. I guess if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd be a rum guy. Okay, rum. Nice. All right. And what about... Yeah, yeah, just from being in the island so much down there, you know? Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Rum is the... And just Is it just straight rum or is that mixed with something? I, You know, I used to always drink rum and Coke, but uh, now, if, now if I drink it, I just drink, just drink rum on the rocks. Yep. That's the best. All right, and uh, and what about music? Do you have a favorite band or type of music you uh, you you kind of enjoy? <laughs> uh, man, I listen to a lot of different. I listen to a lot of different stuff, but uh, I don't know. These days, I, I guess I I mostly just listen to what the kids are listening to these days. A lot of Drake. <laughs> oh, really? I was gonna say because you are the kid. I mean, you yeah. kind of you are the kid to a lot of people. You're still the kid. Yeah. <laughs> the Drake yeah. is Drake still out there? Yeah, they're still going. That's right. Rap is still. They thought they thought it wasn't going to make it, but it's still going strong, isn't it? It's still it's still going strong. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Forty, fifty years later. But I listen to a lot of stuff. I've been listening to, recently. I've been listening to a lot of metal, going back to my uh, my high school days. Oh, so what was that? So you were, uh, yeah. What what was the metal? What was the big group then? Uh, you know, like. Corn and System of a Down oh, yeah. and, uh, and a lot of growth and yep yeah all right all right cool well I had to I had to pick your brain a little bit there so in is uh, Instagram is that the place where you kind of the social kind of network you're most on people want to find you yeah yeah definitely okay and what definitely. anything in the next six to twelve months you want to give a heads up that you have going new for yourself or anything upcoming for you or the lodge or anything. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's hard to say at this point. Six, twelve months out, I, nothing, nothing terribly big. I don't think I'm gonna. I'm looking at several options for potentially adding another lodge to the to the program. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm also starting to do more hosted stuff. I'm gonna do some more travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll have some uh, some ideas coming out on that soon. Like I'm I'm talking with uh, some friends of mine that have. Uh, own uh the nomadic waters in brazil and i'm so i'm thinking i'm going to do a trip out there for uh 20 fall 2020 okay and uh get some peacock bass i'm going to do i'm planning on doing like ascension bay this year for permit and uh maybe some other stuff like that perfect all right. Well, I guess, uh, yeah. And if people want to find you, they can just go to, I guess, catmytrophylodge.com or on Instagram that, uh, what was your handle again there? Yeah. So catmytrophylodge is, is the handle on Instagram for the lodge. And then, uh, and then James Johnson with, uh, the S spelled with a Z. That's right. Just to be goofy, I guess. Yeah. On Instagram. Okay. So, apparently James, James Johnson is a pretty popular name. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, James Johnson is. Okay, so well, James Johnson with the Z, we'll, we'll check it out. And I'll put links to everything, you know, we talked yeah. about there and people can connect with you. But uh, yeah, James, just wanted to thank you for coming on and uh, shedding some light on kind of the Alaska experience. I'm hopefully going to maybe get up there here the next year or so. And, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll pick your brain a little more as, as I get closer to it. But yeah, I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving us some information and, and digging in a little bit here. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. It was great talking to you. Okay, I'll talk to you later. So, there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash Johnson. 
I've added some local trips uh, that include steelhead and stillwater and some other stuff if you go to uh, wetflyswing.com slash destination or it might even be easier just to go to uh, click the link um, at the top of our um, uh, the main page there and you'll see a link to uh, the travel link check that out there's a new uh, website that's uh, that I'm building on there you can check out some of the places we're heading so um, would, would hope to and uh, look forward to maybe seeing you on the river here and uh, getting on a trip uh, one last thing before we go uh, the music um, if you get a chance send me a social message of your favorite music right now band music type of music whatever you got uh, so I know you're still listening even at the very end here that'd be cool thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today I'm looking forward to catch, uh, catching up with you soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.